Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. Boy, we have a, a great one this week in the standpoint. We're talking to Bucky Brooks from the NFL Network. Uh, with the, the timing of this is just so perfect. And, of course, you can follow Bucky at Bucky Brooks. You can also listen to him on the uh, Moving and Sticks podcast along with Daniel Jeremiah. And, of course, you get draft information. You get uh, free agency information. You get cut information. But I think the first off to start this off, Bucky, is this going to be the biggest cutdown period we've ever seen as far as you know, good players with good contracts being released because to get under the cap, was, which is going to be a little bit above 180, is this going to be the biggest bloodletting we've ever seen? I think so. I think it's really interesting because of the hard cap and the low floor that there were a lot of teams that weren't counting on a cap being like this. And so you're going to see a lot of good players hit the market. And the teams that have really preserved their cap space and done those things, they're going to be able to really pick up some nice value price players that can come in and really help their teams. And so, you know, the people that have done a really good job of setting themselves up to take advantage of the things that will kind of come to be in 2021 have a chance to really bounce back in a major way. So, Bucky, it's like uh, this takes this cap, if it's going to be 180, back to 2018 levels. And I counted up then on my database, there was 155 guys that made $10-plus million. Last year, the season finished with 209. This offseason, it started with 184. And now there's already been about 18 guys who have been cut or retired making that amount of money. And this is only going to continue at a major rate. Yes, it's going to continue. to. to uh, we're going to see like a little bit of a purge as teams are trying to get under the cap. Because so many teams were over the cap. They, they weren't physically, fiscally responsible when it came to building out their rosters. And so now you're going to have a correction. And so a lot of the big money players, and I won't say necessarily the top of the market players, but the big money mid-level players that are making enough money where you're like, man, I just don't know if the return on investment is worth it. You can see a lot of those guys hit the street. Yeah, and of course, I mean, that's going to be because you, you can, I think, maybe get these guys for like 50 cents on the dollar. Uh, like, I'll give two examples to see if you would agree with this. I mean, I, I like Nick Martin, who is an $11 million center for the Houston Texans. He was let go. And then Gabe Jackson in uh, with the Raiders, who is making $11 million, he's going to be let go. And so what you're looking at with those two, they both make $11 million on their old contracts. I think, you know, bo- both may, may be at, at five and a half or six million. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people are going to have to settle in on cheaper deals. And I think this is a player for both the team and player. Everyone is going to look at the salary cap this year and, and see how tight it is. And they're going to speculate, particularly when the TV deals come in, what the new salary caps could look like in the upcoming future. And I think they're going to bank on themselves saying, I'll take a, a low end deal this year so I can get back to the table next year and maybe cash in on some of the new TV moments. How do you think it affects a team like Seattle? Seattle's like four to seven million dollars over the cap. You know, they have a big cap number right now in Carlos Dunlap. Uh, you know, you got John Snyder, who's very aggressive. And of course, he's going to be looking at all these guys coming through and seeing the bargains. I mean, do you think he can uh, improve the team 
because uh, again, they're not in bad cap shape. They got to figure out about what to do with Chris Carson and Shaquille Griffin. But uh, there's there's players that are on the offensive line, cornerback, running back that could come in at uh, bargain prices. Yeah, I, th- I think what they're going to do is they're going to be smart. I wouldn't expect them to be very active early in free agency, but I think they will assess who's out there, who can come and fill some of those big needs, and I think they'll make a play for those players. It is it's a, it's a an interesting dance that you have to do when you're the general manager dealing with the cap and what you have ahead of you, also knowing what is coming down the line. Like we can talk about Russell Wilson and those things and. What is that going to require, whether he stays, whether he goes, do you do a contract extension in a year or so? All of those things. And so there's just a lot that is at play. But I think Snyder and the front office, we do a really good job of trying to identify three or four players that can come in at the right price and help push this team over the top in what is looking like a very, very competitive NFC West. One of the things that uh, I noticed uh, so far in the early part of this offseason season is that uh, you know teams, particularly to get under the cap, are giving up on uh, players that they brought in last year, even ones that got significant dollars. Because, like for example, you know AJ Boye came over from Denver to get the cap room. They let him go. Uh, you know, you look at uh, some of the some of the deals. Desmond Trufant was notified on Thursday that they're going to let him go, and he just signed for ten plus million dollars. And so we're seeing a lot of guys from the uh, uh, free agency class of last year. And again, some of them you have to take some cap hits because there's some guarantees in the contract. Yeah, I, I, I do believe like now more than ever, everyone is operating on a year-to-year premise. And even the deals that we see done that normally would ensure that a player is going to be around at least two years, maybe three years, people are moving off of those. Calvin Noy uh, signing a big deal to go to Miami and then after one year, is out. More teams are just kind of building a team, almost like a fantasy football player. They're building a team for one year, and then they kind of tweak it and reconstruct it the next year. It, it, it's not like anything that I've ever seen in our league. Well, what I even find amazing is, and, and you know from uh, doing these things, is that uh, you know you take some even some of the undrafted guys or the low price guys, and you sign them to two to three year contracts. Well, and again, that's we're not talking about the guys who are going to be undrafted this year, but all these deals, you know, they're only one year deals. I mean, six sixty for some, and it's putting teams. I mean, there's teams right now that have 21 or 18 players that are on next year's roster. I mean, it's amazing to see how small these rosters are. 25 players on some for 2022 that are signed. It's, it's remarkable. It is remarkable how people are pruning the trees and getting down and they just build it back up um, with these moderately priced players or these undrafted free agents. And the thing about the undrafted free agents, um, there are a lot of teams that are taking advantage of that. When you're looking at our league, we're seeing more undrafted free agents not only make teams, but make it and play and have contributing roles as first-year players. That is unheard of, and it's unheard of because a lot of times you give grades on players in the draft based on the impact that you expect them to make year one, two, and three. And so for undrafted free agents, who many are viewed as developmental prospects, to come out of that situation and become vital contributors, speaks volumes to how, I don't know, maybe we're missing or we're misevaluating these senior classes or these draft classes when they come out. Michael Bidwell, the Arizona Cardinals owner, came out and said that uh, there's going to be more teams that are going to be affected by this, either 
bad teams becoming good, good teams becoming bad. And I look over at the NFC, and of course, you know, they started last year with 12 quarterbacks making 21 plus million dollars. And now we've already seen Drew Brees. He's probably going to retire. And Carson Wentz was traded by Philadelphia. But there's going to be swings on some of these teams like New Orleans, Philadelphia. Philadelphia is going to be even worse next year because of their cap situation. How do you see this playing out? And what teams off the top of your head think could really come out of it bad and what teams good? Well, I think teams that can come out of it good uh, or that are well positioned. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Jets, and the New England Patriots. Uh, the Jags, because they not only have draft, draft capital, but they also have plenty of cap space. Urban Meyer, Trent Balky, being able to evaluate and assess how they want to build that culture going forward, they should be good. The New York Jets are also well-positioned to be players in the free agent market. They need to upgrade the talent that they have on offense, and it doesn't matter whether they keep Sam Brown or bring in a new quarterback they still have to upgrade the offensive line and the weapons on the outside for anybody to flourish. Um, the New England Patriots are interesting because of the quarterback situation and everyone wondering what are they going to do. Cam Newton had an up-and-down year, really good as an athlete and a runner, not so much as a passer, but you could argue who did he really have to throw to. The Patriots have a ton of cash space. They have enough draft capital to do it. But how confident are we in their ability to pick players out of college that can come in and make an immediate impact? There's been a mixed bag for them. But Bill Belichick is great when it comes to finding pros who may have a deficiency somewhere else, but they come and they play in a, in a, in a, high, in a high level for the team. I'm curious to see how they go about managing this process. Yeah, what's what? Uh, what I've, I found fascinating with Bill Belichick is that uh, you know, he, in some ways, both in some of the scheme things that he does, and also even in some of the personnel things that he does, <clears throat> he's way ahead of the curve. Like one of the things that uh, he's done for years, not necessarily last year, he'll trade for players in the. Uh, guys in their rookie contracts, either in their third or fourth years, and then see if he likes them or not likes them. Then they can get compensatory picks if they leave, and if he likes them, he gets to keep them. I mean, he's been doing that now, but what I'm wondering about is that could he be uh, one of the most aggressive in picking up all these players who get cut that uh, are still young enough and aren't going to make a lot of money? I absolutely believe he'll do that. I think he has value for veteran players over young players. And after they struggle the way that they struggle this year, being below a 500 team, he is going to look for those value price veterans that can come in, join the team, and make instant contributions. Um, I can't wait to see it. I think they have to put a lot into what they do defensively. And then everyone is, is really waiting to see what is he going to do at quarterback because that's the million-dollar question. Can you envision, Bucky, that uh, with you know the AFC has at least 10 quarterbacks still in their rookie contracts, so that's not making the big money that the NFC quarterbacks are making. Could you envision the AFC adding enough talent off this market of cut players and free agents and all that at discounted prices? At uh, They could go back to the early 2000s when the AFC was beating up an interconference play on the NFC like 44 to 20 and uh, 40 to 24. Yeah, I absolutely can see that because I, I think what you're doing, you're not only getting the quarterbacks that are talented, but you have the opportunity to benefit off the rookie deal. And as you talk about being able to stockpile this veteran talent, 
that has been dispatched maybe at their previous locations, but they still have the ability to play at a high level. These teams that have these quarterbacks on these uh, team-friendly deals, they certainly are going to do it. And when you look at the AFC, they have them all. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, uh, Patrick Mahomes still has some wiggle room, but Justin Herbert with the Chargers, it just gives you the flexibility to really build a super team when you have a quarterback, a good quarterback on a rookie deal. Yeah, no question about it. And you look at the team like the Los Angeles Chargers. I think they can take advantage of things because Justin Herbert looks good. So yeah, that's going to be a fascinating uh, transition. What do you think <clears throat> with the lower cap is going to do as far as veteran trades? Trading a veteran <clears throat> who might be making good money, but <clears throat> not necessarily being able to go to too many teams. Yeah, I think what you're seeing is a more aggressive mindset from general managers in general. Uh, as the general manager position skews younger, I think you're having more team builders that are willing to make trades. They're willing to maybe take some of the hits that come along with absorbing the dead cap space to get a good player. And I think we may see more of that. And particularly, John, I think the one thing to keep in mind, the draft is unlike any other draft that we've been around. I don't know if teams have a good feel for these players that are coming out because you had COVID, you had players that played, some that didn't. It's different. And so the opportunity to get a proven commodity over a draft pick, I think you're going to see more teams opt for that because at least they've seen the veterans play. They've seen them play in the pro game, and they have a better feel for who they are and who they will be in the system rather than projecting an unknown in the college prospect. Okay. It's time to talk Russell Wilson. So – how do you look at the Russell Wilson situation? You know, one, that he came out after the Super Bowl, complained about too many hits, the offensive line, and he seems to be frustrated with a bunch of stuff. And his agent, of course, pushing the idea that, oh, he doesn't ask for a trade, but if he does, there's four teams that might be interested. Yeah, no, this is, this is a tough one to navigate. Because I think before you even get to, like, Russell and his comments, I think what you have is a philosophical difference. Pete Carroll has won a ton of games in a certain fashion. He wants to take care of the ball. He wants to run the football. He wants to play great defense. And he believes that his team is going to be – they are built to win a lot of one-score games in the fourth quarter. Russell Wilson, like most quarterbacks, as they get older and more established in their careers, they want more say and more control offensively. The thing about it is when they've given Russell more control and more say and they've put it in his hands and – kind of let him wing it all over the yard. The results have not been the same as it was when he played more of a managerial role early in his career. And so when Pete looks at this and he looks back at last season where they were averaging 34.2 points the first half of the season, but down the stretch they were only averaging 22. They were seeing more cover two because they couldn't, um, and they couldn't generate the big plays. He's saying we have to be able to run the football. We have to be more balanced. And even though Russell may want to throw it more, we need to have a more balanced team because balance is going to allow us to dictate the terms. And that's more important than satisfying the needs and the wishes of my quarterback. Yeah, but that, the thing that's so strange is that uh, in, in several ways, uh, Pete addressed that with the hiring of Shane Waldron because they did pull in Russell Wilson on the loop. I mean, it brings in an offense, the Rams 49ers offense, where each of the quarterbacks have only had one year where they've been sacked more than 30 times, and you have you know more running options. You run the ball more, but you run it more efficiently. And so uh, you know they did pull him in on the loop, and yet he still seems to be frustrated. 
Yeah, he still seems to be frustrated. And I, at this point, I don't really know what it is that Russell wants. Um, I talked about it last week or so. Um, he has to make a decision from a legacy standpoint. Does he want to be Tom Brady or does he want to be Drew Brees? They both are legends, but they're legends for different reasons. Tom Brady's the ultimate winner. Um, we can talk about it being overblown, but he never took top-of-market money. He was okay with them playing a different way, particularly early in his career where they ran it and did things. And we would see the Patriots shift at the end of the year and go back to a more run-friendly, run-oriented approach. And they're good as long as they got into the postseason. They had an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, and they did, and they won it. Drew Brees has always chucked it all over the yard, always been chiefly responsible for moving the ball down the field. Russell Wilson, to me, wants to have that freedom where the offense is all him. He does all those things or whatever. But when you do that, you also can't look for a shield of criticism when it happens. Russell turned the ball over more than ever this year. Whenever Russell has had more than 500 pass attempts, three of those four seasons, he's had 11 or more interceptions. We looked at how the production went down at the end of the year when they were passing all of the time. And so I think Pete looks at this team and he says, we have to be balanced. We have to run it. We have to play a certain way for us to win. And I don't want to hurt Russell's feelings, but from a philosophical standpoint, we are better when he does less, not more. But trading him, of course, would be a $39 million cap hit. And because that would basically take them back to 2010, because now instead of adding players, they have to come up with seven more million dollars of the cap. No team since 2013 has had more than 20.4 percent of their cap tied up in dead money. And this would be over 22, 23 percent. All of a sudden you go from a 12 win division winner to now a rebuilding team. Yeah, and I think that's why they won't seriously entertain it. I think what they ultimately want is what happened with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. When you look at the similar system Shane Waldron brings over, he's bringing that Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense where the running game is going to be outside zone. They're going to be on tracks. It's going to be very, very easy for the offensive line to understand exactly what you're doing. And then you want the complimentary passing game to come with that. Boo legs, play action, occasional shots, those things. Aaron Rodgers, prior to last year, two years, he was always off the script. And that made it very hard for Mike McCarthy and even Matt Lafleur in his first year to call plays for him. This year, he played more on the script. The offense was more efficient. The big plays came back. And lo and behold, Aaron Rodgers won an MVP. Russell may find out that by doing less, he benefits more in a systematic um, offense that reduces some of the pressure on him to make plays outside of the structure of the offense, he may get what he wants, which is to win at a high level and also get MVP recognition. Yeah, and finally, Mark Rogers, his agent, uh, put out a list of four teams that Russell would be willing to go to, but the problem with it is three of the four teams may have significant losses on the offensive line. You know, because the Saints, for example, he'd like to go there, but they've already cut Nick Easton, uh, a guard, they cut Sinio Clemente, and they may have to cut Andres Pete and have no cap room to really do much to replace them. Then you look at the Raiders. Uh, Trenton Brown is being shopped around in a trade, or he could get cut. Gabe Jackson has found out that he's going to be released. Richie Incognito is not mostly not going to be there. And in Chicago, Bobby Massey is probably going to be a right tackle casualty, and they may do something with Charles Leno. So it's like, you know, he wants 
better offensive linemen. But right now, three of the four teams his agent put out may be in less situations on their offensive line. Yeah, when I saw that list, that list didn't strike me as Russell looking for the best team. It, it, it appeared to me that he was looking for a, a big stage, a bigger platform to be able to do some of the stuff that he does away from the field. Because those those markets, Chicago, Vegas, uh, New Orleans, uh, Dallas, they're more, I mean, they're more coming back, regressing more so than going forward and improving. So to me, it speaks volumes that those are the teams that were targeted because none of those teams are necessarily culturally built to go to the Super Bowl next year. And so I think Russell kind of let the cat out of the bag. Yes, it's about football to a point, but it's also about maybe a bigger brand in Russell Wilson as opposed to just Russell Wilson, the ultimate winner that has done it successfully for a long time in the league. Well, it's a great brand for Bucky Brooks, of course, NFL Network analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Bucky Brooks. And also, you can listen to the uh, Moving Move the Stick podcast. That's along with Daniel Jeremiah. Great stuff, Bucky. Hey, thank you so much. It's been great catching up, and it's going to be a crazy few weeks. It is. Thanks so much for having me on, John. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with a Professor.